You're listening to GlendaleCC.org and to the Glendale Christian KY podcast on iTunes. Thank you for joining us as we start our new sermon series, There is Hope, three words that can change the way we look at our lives. This week, Senior Minister Jeff Gaines kicks off this series with a message on optimism. We hope that this sermon encourages you in your walk to love and follow Jesus. Have a wonderful week. I'm glad to see all of you. We own now. Here we go. Can y'all hear me? Loud and clear. I'm so glad to see all of you, and I want to welcome you. Um, just As I always do, no matter where you are in your life or where you are in your faith journey, no matter what this week held for you, what this week coming up looks like, uh, no matter the mistakes you made or the doubts that you may have, you're welcome here just the way you are. This is a safe place for you to be you. Mistakes and all, habits and all, hang-ups and all, history and all, for you to be who you are in this moment and seek Jesus. And we believe when you meet Jesus, when you encounter Jesus, he changes things. Amen? And so we're glad you're here, and we're believing that this moment, this hour that we spend together on Sunday morning, that it makes a difference. So I hope that you'll believe that with me today, and if you do, I believe God's got a blessing in store for you. Today I want to begin a discussion that we're going to have over the next several weeks. Um, And just three powerful words, and I believe that there's somebody here today that just needs to hear these three words needs to just soak it in, take it in, and believe it. The three words are this, very simply, there is hope. There is hope. Somebody's here today that um, is overwhelmed by their life. It's been one bad thing after another here lately, and you're having a hard time seeing the light at the end of the tunnel. And so sometimes we just need to hear those three words, there is is hope. The next few weeks, what we're going to talk about, we're going to talk about the reasons that we have to be hopeful, and we're going to talk about some things that we can do to increase the hope in our life. I believe that this is going to be a very powerful time that we spend together over the next few weeks. Today, I want to talk to you about optimism. We're heading into a season of transition, and I'm going to continue, just for the record, to say we when I'm referring to me and to you and to this church. I'm going to keep saying we. Um, because even if you guys won't uh, claim me, I'm always going to claim you. Uh, even if you don't want to associate with me, I'm always going to associate myself with you because I love you guys too much just to say, okay, now it's me and, and it's you, it's we still and always. Okay, so just realize that. So we are heading as a church into a season of transition. Uh, and some of you are personally heading into a season of transition. How many of you are graduating from high school? We got any high school graduates? Yeah, they're transitioning. Uh, We got some people uh, transitioning from college into career. Some of you are transitioning into um, marriage. You're you're going from singleness to marriage, and you're ready for the wedding to be over. Some of you already. It's like, let's just get married. Um, Some of you are transitioning into parenthood. I will pray a special prayer for you. A lot of fun, a lot of work. Uh, Some of you are transitioning into grandparenthood, and it's just rocked your world for the better, and you love being a grandparent. Uh, So there's transitions everywhere. Depending on your disposition, um, your your transition could be overwhelming. You see, if if you take a transition and you add to your transition pessimism, then oftentimes what you'll get is um, just exhaustion, because that'll wear you out, and despair. So if you're a woe is me, the sky is falling, the worst that can happen will happen to me. If you're that type of person, 
every change you experience in your life is going to be overwhelming. It's going to be hard on you. But if you have a transition and you add to that transition optimism, then what you get is excitement and hope. That's my prayer for you guys today is that you will add optimism to whatever season that you're heading into. And I believe that as a Christian, we have every reason to be optimistic. Um, now, some of you, you're going to push back on me a little bit on this, and you're going to say, well, I was just kind of born this way. I was born to kind of be, and you don't like to call yourself a pessimist, you'll say I'm a realist, right? I was kind of born this way to look at the world in this way. And, and what I've discovered is that it's really not about how you're, you're chemically balanced or kind of like the way you were raised. It has nothing to do with that. It, your disposition, whether you're an optimist or a pessimist, it really has to do with what you focus on. It really has to do with your perspective on life. Um, so what I found is that you generally in life, you find what you're looking for. In life, you will generally find what you're looking for. The Bible says it this way in Proverbs chapter 11. Whoever seeks good finds favor. If you're looking for the good in your life, then favor won't fall on you. You won't just happen into favor. You'll find it. But evil comes to the one who, what is that word? Searches for it. Generally, you're going to find what you're looking for. Let's think of, of it this way, a little uh, analogy from nature. Um, you've got a buzzard on one hand. A buzzard zips around all day looking for dead things. At the end of the day, what does the buzzard find? Finds dead things, doesn't he? Well, and then you got, on the other hand, you've got a hummingbird. Hummingbird zips around all day looking for sweet things in life. What does the hummingbird find at the end of the day? Yeah, you, you generally are going to find what you're looking for. So today, this is what I want to do. I want to spend some time reminding you of all the reasons that you have to be optimistic. I, I, want, to, I want to shift your focus away from those things that you tend to look at towards those things that you should be looking at. And this is what I believe, no matter where you find yourself today. Because some of you, you look at your circumstances and you say, I have no reason for optimism. The reports aren't coming back good. The bank statement looks terrible. This relationship's going nowhere fast. My job's not heading anywhere. Uh, my kids are out of control. I don't have much room for optimism when it comes to my circumstances. But I want you to know, no matter where you find yourself today, no matter what storm is brewing on the horizon, in Jesus' name, you have a reason to be optimistic. We're going to look together today at Romans chapter 8. If you brought your Bible, I'd encourage you to turn there. Otherwise, the words will be on the screen. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, I, I love you, and I'm so grateful, God, that you, um, you meet us where we are. I know, I know for me sometimes, Lord, I get distracted. Um, I get off track, and you don't give up on me in those moments. Lord, when I'm running from you, you're you still pursuing me. And I don't deserve that, but I'm grateful for it. Lord, I pray that you will meet us all where we are in this moment. Meet us with your word that's forever true. Uh, Lord, remind us of your faithfulness. And Lord, I pray that all of us in this moment, we will lean into your promises. Because your promises are good and they're trustworthy. Be with us in Jesus' name. Amen. So let me give you some reasons for optimism no, no matter where you are in your life. Number one, your future victory is greater than your present pain. Your future victory is greater than your present pain. Romans chapter 8 verse 18, Paul says it this way. Yet we, what we suffer now, the pain that we're experiencing presently, what we suffer now is nothing when it's compared 
to the glory that he will reveal to us later. Now, it's, it's easy for us to read verses like this and say, well, you know, that guy, it's easy for him to say that because he never struggled in the way that I struggled. You know, he, he's, he wasn't raising the crazy kids that I'm raising. You know, he, he wasn't married to the spouse I'm married to. He, he didn't have the job like I've got, the stressful job like I've got. He, he didn't have the, the medical problems or the financial problems or all the stressful things that I've got going on in my life. So it's easy for him to say that but because he's never experienced my kind of pain. So let me remind you of the author of these words. This guy named Paul. And Paul started off his life, he, he kind of got on this track, uh, this career track of um, being a professional religious person. And he was really successful on this track. And it kind of led him down a dark road. He ended up playing a part in, a mul in multiple murders. Now that's a lot of guilt that you have to carry around with you. In the midst of his sinfulness, uh, in the midst of his wickedness, Jesus appeared to him. Now the thing, if you've ever had an encounter with Jesus, you know when you meet with Jesus, when you have a real encounter with Jesus, it changes things. So Paul met Jesus on the road to Damascus and he was forever changed. He went from being this Christian killer to the greatest Christian preacher probably that's ever lived. And, and a lot of us, this is what we think. We think, well, when I give my life to Jesus, everything's going to be good in my life. You know, I'll get baptized, and the moment I come out of the water, my roof at my house was leaking, but magically it's going to be repaired. And then the tread on my tires is going to just miraculously grow. I'm never going to have to get my tires replaced again. And my medical reports are always going to come back good, and my credit card statements are always going to come back where the credit card company owes me money because I love Jesus, and so my life is going to always be good. And that's what we believe. But then you look at Paul's life and what you see is when Paul gave his life to Jesus, it seemed like his life went from bad to worse. He went around to all these towns and he's preaching. He's trying to plant churches and every town that he went into, he met opposition. He got thrown in one jail after another jail after another jail. One time grown men, they picked up rocks about the size of his head and they just started throwing it at him. Until they thought he was dead, they dragged his lifeless body out of the city and they threw him in the city dump. And they were going to let animals eat his dead body. Miraculously, he lived. But this is the life Paul had to endure. He went on from there and, and they arrested him for something just totally bogus. And he fought the charges. And he was in years and years and years of litigation. Um, in the midst of all this, they put him in chains and they put him on a ship to take him from one place to another. He's in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea. Hurricane comes against this ship and the ship breaks up in the midst of this hurricane. And Paul is in the open water in the midst of a hurricane. Waves crashing over him, wind blowing him from side to side. Miraculously, I don't know how, but he lives. He's washed up on shore and Paul is such a nice guy. He says, you know what, I'm going to gather firewood so all the other people that have survived this shipwreck can be warm. As he's gathering firewood, he gets bitten by a poisonous snake. Bad to worse. I mean, can you imagine the life this guy's living? And yet, through all of this, uh, he, he talks about how he's got this thorn in his side. Now, we never figure out what the thorn is, but it's some sort of physical ailment. Every step that he takes, he feels the pain from this thorn in his side. And he prays every day, God, if you would, please just take this thing from me. And God never takes it away. This is Paul's life. You know how Paul's life ended? He didn't die like old age in a nursing home surrounded by all of his loved ones with a full belly watching his favorite show. It wasn't anything like that. Instead, he gets his head cut off, a violent death. This is Paul's life. It went from bad to worse. And yet, and yet, Paul kept saying things like this. And then in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17, Paul says this 
And I have a hard time understanding this, given Paul's circumstance. He says, our, our light, now, I don't know about you, but people picking up rocks and throwing them at me until I appear to be dead, that doesn't seem light to me. Does that seem light? That seems kind of heavy to me. He says, our light and momentary, now, if I have a thorn in my side and every step that I take, I'm, take, I'm praying, God, if you would, please just take this away from me because it's so painful. I can't even function properly because of this thorn in my side. That doesn't seem momentary, does it? But he says our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Paul says the pain that I experienced from this thorn in my side, these men throwing rocks at me, me being stranded in the middle of the ocean in the midst of a hurricane, that is nothing. All that pain, all that struggle, all that suffering is nothing compared to the blessing that God will give me when I get to heaven. It's crazy. What gives Paul the confidence to say this? Paul is one of only a few men who died, experienced heaven, and was able to come back and tell us about it. This is one of the statements Paul makes about his experience in heaven, his short time in heaven, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 4. He says, I was caught up to paradise and heard things so astounding that they cannot be expressed in words. Paul says it's so good, and I... I tried to describe it, but there's not words that will adequately, adequately describe what I experienced there. And really, even if I wanted to lay it all out and I had the words to do it, God wouldn't let me because it's too good. It's too good. All that to say this. The last chapter of your story is the best chapter. Some of you, your life has been one disappointment after another. It started off tragedy. And then every chapter after that, there was one injustice, one disappointment, one discouragement, one failure after another. And here you are, and you look around at your circumstances, and you can't see anything good. But understand, all the junk that you have to go through in that story to get to that last chapter, Paul says that last chapter will make all that stuff worth it. It's that good. Your current suffering is nothing in comparison to the glory we will experience in heaven. There's optimism there. Here's another reason to be optimistic. If God is for me, who can be against me? Romans chapter 8 verse 31, Paul says this, What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Now, I don't want to miss this because we read verses like this and we just kind of brush over them. So I want to spend some time just unpacking this thought, okay? God, now let's think about who we're talking about. We're talking about the being that the Bible says who was and is and is to come. He has always been. There's never been when God wasn't. He, he's always been. Uh, that God is so powerful, he spoke into nothingness. Now we can't even really understand nothingness. Like our minds cannot, it's just like eternity. You can't understand the reality of, like, in my hand there is nothing, but there's actually something there. You just can't see it, right? We can't understand the vacuum of nothingness. That's beyond our comprehension. But God spoke into that. He didn't do a magic dance. He, he didn't, like, throw some magical powder and put it in the oven and bake it and came out. No, just his words. He said, let there be light in the universe, the whole known universe, all the laws, all the matter, all the space, all the energy, everything exploded into existence just, just by the power of his word. That God that 
created and still sustains the universe. You know, the earth only spins because God wills it to spin. You realize that. The earth only rotates around the sun because God says rotate around the sun. The, the solar system we live in only stays in the galaxy it's supposed to because God wills it to happen. That God is, not could be, depending on whether or not you're good enough, not was until you broke all the promises you made, no, he is current and ongoing, present and ongoing condition. He is for you. A lot of people, they think about God as this God that's against them. This God that he's got his telescope out and he's, he's kind of spying you all the time, watching you on a Saturday night especially and saying, okay, what are you into? And in the moment you slip up, the moment you get off track, he zaps you with lightning because he's not for you, he's against you. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible paints a picture of a God who is for his people. God is actively working for you. So this brings up an interesting question. And I think we got to consider it, especially if some of you are struggling today. Since God is for us, since God loves me so much that he's actively working in my life for my good, since God is for us, who or what can be against us? You may look at your, your situation, you may look at your problem, you may look at your struggle and say, well, it's too big. It's too overwhelming. I'm outmatched. There was another guy that might have had that thought. His name was David. Young man in the Old Testament. He was about 15 years old, 14, 15 years old. We got any 14, 15-year-old people in here? Donna. Thank you. He was a young guy. didn't even have his driver's permit yet. Um, and he, he's minding his own business. His dad sent him on an errand, and, and he walks into a battle with a giant because that's how battles come in our life. We're, we're not expecting it, right? And we don't wish for it. It just happens to us. And so he walks into this battle with a giant, and he was outmatched. The Bible says the giant, a guy named Goliath, was over nine feet tall. He wore armor, the Bible says, that weighed 150 pounds. David didn't even weigh 150 pounds, but Goliath's wearing armor that weighs more than David. He carries a spear that's taller than himself. Uh, and this, this guy, Goliath, they call him a champion in the Bible. He's undefeated. Uh, he's, every battle he's been in, he's won. There's no telling how many men he's killed with his bare hands. And David is a 14 or 15-year-old little shepherd boy, barely been out of the house, and all he's got is a sling. He's outmatched. His brothers tell him he's a fool. They call him all sorts of names. The king of Israel says, there's no way you can beat that giant. And yet, David walks confidently towards that giant. Why? We looked at all of his problems. He looked at how, how outmatched he was. He looked how the odds were stacked against him. And maybe that's how you feel today. And this is what David said to his issue, to his problem, to that giant. 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 14. You come against me with sword and spear and javelin. You come against me with all this practical stuff. You know, you, you're, you're, trying to, uh, you're trying to hurt me with that text message or that email or that nasty look. You think that you're going to take my finances away from me and that that's going to hurt me. You, you think that just because you're making it hard on, on me at my job that that's going to destroy me. You come against me with all these practical things, with all these things of the world, with a sword and a spear and a javelin. But I come against you, the power I have, I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty. A few minutes later, David is standing over the dead body of Goliath. 
He was victorious. There's no difference between the giant David faced and the giants that you face in your life. It may be scary. It may be overwhelming at times. Maybe times you look at that situation you're facing and you, you think to yourself, I don't know that I have what it takes to get through this season. But let me tell you, if God is for you, who or what can be against you? Jesus, he says it this way, and this has turned into one of my favorite verses. This is an unusual verse to be a favorite verse, but I think it is turning into one of my favorites. Because this is life. John 16, This is life right here. Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble. That's a guarantee, 100%. There are going to be times that a giant come against you. And you weren't expecting it. You didn't ask for it. It just happened. You were minding your own business. You were going in the right direction. And boom, you've got a challenge and it's bigger than what you can handle. The odds are stacked against you and it's not fair and it's not right. And you don't know how you're going to get through it. But, but, Jesus says, take heart. Don't lose hope. Don't give up. Keep believing. You can be optimistic. Why? Because I have overcome the world. Jesus says, there's not a giant you will ever come against that's bigger than me. There's not a giant, there's not a problem, there's not a situation, there's not a circumstance, there's not a difficulty that you will come against that's stronger than I am. I have overcome the world and I am with you. So you can be optimistic because God is for you. Here's another reason you can be optimistic today. God is working everything in my life for good. Romans 8, 28. And we know that in all things, in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. We're confident that God will make something good out of everything that happens to us now. I say that, and I read this verse, and this is a hard verse for me, because I know some of your stories. And some of you have had to endure things that I wouldn't wish on my worst enemy. Some of you are going through a season right now of suffering and pain that I look at and I just don't, I don't see, it doesn't make any sense to me, and I can't make I can't make heads or tails of it. You've been through pain and suffering and struggle that nobody should have to go through. But then we read verses like this, and it says that all things, even those things, that God will somehow work, he will, he will move, he will position, he will, he will shape to make something good out of it. That's a hard verse. There's a guy named Joseph in the Old Testament. He was the youngest of several brothers, and he had the brightest future of all of them. His brothers got jealous, and they threw him in a pit. They, they were trying to figure out what to do with him. They said, well, either we need to kill him, or maybe we'll make some money off of him. And they decided they were going to make some money off of this guy named Joseph. And so there was a, a caravan of, like, these foreign people going through this land, and, and they said, hey, we've got this person you can buy, he's a hard worker. And so they sold their brother into slavery. You might have a bad brother, but not that bad, okay? So he ends up in this place, um, this house called uh, the house of Potiphar as a slave. And now these are the prime years of his life. David was a young man when he was sold into slavery, probably about 17 years old. And 
he doesn't like throw in the towel. You know, a lot of times when bad stuff happens to us, we just kind of throw our hands up and, and we, we give up on doing our best. You know, we, we just kind of go through the motions or, or maybe even worse, we fall off the rails. Joseph didn't do that. Instead, he said, I'm going to make the most of this. He had an optimistic outlook. And so he thrived even as a slave. And he honored God even as a slave. And you know what he got for all of his trouble? He got thrown into prison for something that he didn't do. And for the next 10 years of his life, he's in a prison cell. Now, we're not talking about the Hardin County Detention Center. Uh, we're not talking about that, like three square meals a day, and it's warm, and you got a comfortable bed to sleep in, and they put a nice, comfortable orange suit on you. This, we're not talking about that. We're, we're talking about the ancient world, a prison where it's, they just throw everybody in this dungeon, and uh, you're living in your own filth, and you, you fight for every day. It's... You could be killed by any prisoner in there. The guards don't care. This is Joseph's life for the next 10 years. This is a struggle. But then, in Joseph's 30th year, God kind of puts one of the last puzzle pieces in place in his life. And, and see, this is what we got to realize. Our, our life is like a puzzle. And sometimes there's some pieces that get thrown in there, and it doesn't really make sense until... The whole puzzle is complete. And so that last puzzle piece is put in place, and Joseph goes from the prison. Miraculously, he ends up as the prince of Egypt, the second in command. And Joseph looks back on all the struggle that he's had over the last 13 years. He looks at how his brothers betrayed him, how they sold him into slavery. He looked at how he was unfairly treated in Potiphar's house, even though he was doing all the right things. He looked at that struggle that when he was in that deep, dark dungeon in that prison cell. He looked at all that. And in Genesis chapter 50, Joseph says this, verse 20, you intended to harm me. You thought that pit was going to kill me. You know, you, you wanted to hurt me in Potiphar's house. They thought I'd be destroyed in the prison all that was intended to harm me. That's what the world was trying to accomplish. But God intended it all. When my brothers threw me in that pit, God was working a good work in that. When, when they sold me into slavery, God had a good plan. Even though it didn't feel good at the time, God had a good plan. When, when they put me into prison, God intended all of that for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. Listen to me. God has a plan for you. You may not see it. Joseph couldn't see how God's good plan would fit together when they threw him in that pit. You may not feel it. I'm sure Joseph didn't feel very good as he's fighting for his life in a prison cell living in his own filth. But you can believe it. You see, I'm optimistic not because of what I see because sometimes I look around and what I see is disheartening. I'm not optimistic because of what I feel because sometimes I feel terrible. Sometimes I feel overwhelmed. I'm not optimistic of, about what I see or what I feel. I'm optimistic because of what I believe. And this is what I believe. I believe that our God is a good God. And I believe he's got a good plan. And I believe he's strong enough to carry that plan out in my life. I'm convinced of that because I've seen it play out time and time again. All things. All things, the good, the bad, the ugly, they work together like a puzzle for the good of those who love God. You can be optimistic in that. Last thing, nothing 
can separate me from the love of God. Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 35, can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Have you ever asked yourself that question? God, do you still love me? You ever ask yourself that question? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble? You ever ask yourself, God, it's just one health concern after another. You know, I, one surgery after another, one bill after another. I can't pay all these bills. It's one relational disappointment after another. God, are you ever going to send me a husband? Are you ever going to send me a wife? It's, it's, it's one disappointment, my kids, after another. Why won't they straighten up? God, is, is it because you don't love me? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? God, do you, do you still love me? Verse 37, no. Despite all these things. And this is what we want to do. We want to look at our circumstances and we want to measure the goodness of God based on our circumstances. No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory. Not like a nail-biter, buzzer-beater, at the last second I make the shot and win the game. Overwhelming victory. Blowout victory. It's never in doubt victory. Overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. Verse 38, I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from the love of God. Nothing can. Ever. No matter what. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow. Do you have some fears for today? Do you have some doubts about today? Are you unsure about what this next month holds, what this next year holds? None of those things. Whatever's going on today, whatever happens tomorrow, none of those things will ever make God stop loving you. There is nothing, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. Verse 39, no power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing. Turn to your neighbor and, and just say the word nothing. Now turn to your second choice and tell them a little bit louder because I could barely hear you. Nothing in all of creation. That's everything. Doesn't that, doesn't that include everything? I mean, doesn't that cover it all right there? Nothing in all of creation. You, now, you might start dreaming up some stuff right here. And, and you might say, well, I need to earn that kind of love, don't I? But the Bible says in Romans 5, 8, it says God demonstrates the kind of love that he has for us in this while we were still sinners. Not when we had cleaned ourselves up, not when we had gotten it all together, when we were our most unlovable. When you were doing the thing that you regret doing the most and you look back on your history and you say, if I could change anything, I'd change that thing because that was despicable. In that moment, when you were your most unlovable, God loved you the most and he sent his son, Jesus, to die on a cross for, on your behalf. That's how much God loves you. His love for you is maxed out. And, and there's no way that you can do anything to make God love you anymore. And, and there's no way you can do anything to make God love you any less. And nothing will ever 
change that. Let me tell you something. No matter what you go through in life, you always have the love of God. And because of that, you can always be optimistic. I think there's a lot of reasons today to be optimistic. Don't you guys? I think I'm going to ask this. They, they really didn't respond. I'm preaching to this side for a second. I think there's a lot of reason today to be optimistic. Don't y'all think so? But here's the catch. And there is a catch. These are all great promises. But they're only true for certain people. You see, you can only claim these promises if you are in Christ. That's the condition. You can only claim these promises if you are in Christ. So what does that mean? Well, in Christ means this. It means that you have surrendered control of your life to Jesus. It means that at some point you stood in front of somebody and you confessed that you are sinful, that you cannot save yourself. And you profess Jesus as your Lord, which means master. He's in charge. I'm not in charge anymore. You're in charge, Jesus, and your Savior. God, I can't save myself. I need you to do it. And then you publicly demonstrated that by dying with Jesus in baptism, being immersed in the water, coming back up, newness of life. And then day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, you do your very best to walk in the way of Jesus. This is the way we call it. We say it this way, that you love and follow Jesus. That you love him more than you love anything else. And because you love him more than you love anything else, wherever he leads you, you will follow him. That's in Christ. Now here's the deal. These promises that because God is for you, no one can be against you. That your, your future victory is greater than your present pain. That um, nothing can separate you from the love of God. That God is working all things out for your good. Those promises are only true if you are loving and following Jesus. So you might have the best life than anybody could imagine. You might have all the reason in the world to be optimistic about your circumstances. But if you don't have Jesus, ultimately, you have no reason to be optimistic because your end is destruction. So this is what I want to encourage you with today as we close. If there's any person in this room who's not in Christ, claim all of these promises by surrendering your life to him. And it starts with one act of obedience. Where you step out of your pew and you walk down the aisle and you come and meet me here. And you publicly confess, I'm a sinner. And you publicly profess, Jesus, I want you to be my Savior and my Lord. And it'll start a journey. But this is what you'll find along the journey. God loves me and nothing can change that. God's got a plan for me and it's a good plan. God's working for me. He's going to work this plan out in my life. And, and, and the end of my story is the best chapter of my story. That's what I want for y'all. Pray with me. Father, I pray if there's any person in this room who is far from you, I pray that you will draw them, Lord, into a relationship with you. Or if there's any person in this room that's not in Christ, I pray that they'll be obedient I pray that they'll step out from their pew and walk down the aisle and meet me here where we'll pray a prayer that will start a journey. Lord, if there's any person in this room that's struggling with despair, that's lost all hope, 
who feels like there's no reason to be optimistic, I pray, Lord, that you will remind them of your promises. I pray that you will empower them to believe it. In Jesus' name, amen. Really, we just looked at one chapter today, and I think, I don't know about you, but I'm going to leave here optimistic, and I hope that you are too. But let's just think about this. I could have listed for you 20 reasons for optimism just in this one chapter. Imagine if you got into God's Word every day like this. Don't you think it'd make a difference? You know, one of the things that I hope to leave with you guys is a hunger for the Word of God. Because this is what I found. God's Word isn't just a book. These aren't just black and white letters on a page. They're alive. The Bible says that God's Word is a lamp unto our feet. And so it gives us like a flashlight where we can look in the future and say, even though it's kind of dark, I've got, I've got a way, I've got a direction that I can go, and I know what's ahead of me is good. God's Word has the power to do that. So this is what I would encourage you to do as you leave from here. If you're not in the Word every day, man, get in it. Even if it's just one verse, and I'm going to read one verse every day, and I'm going to let it speak to my heart, it'll make a world of difference in your life. It has for me, and it will for you. As you leave from here, go loving and following Jesus to the best of your ability. And as you do, he will help you overcome. He will, he will work for you. He will work all things out for your good. He will bless you. Thanks for being here. I love you guys.